When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Aladdin. You stumbled upon an opportunity. I can make you rich. Rich enough to impress a princess. What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders. Bring me the lamp. Oh, great one who summons me, I stand by my oath, loyalty to wishes three. I'm kidding. Watch this. Watch out! You done wound me up, you ain't never had a friend like me. Hey, can you make me a prince? There is a lot of gray area in make me a prince. I could just make you a prince. Oh, no. Y'all see my palace? You look like a prince on the outside. But I didn't change anything on the inside. Showtime. No, I'm in charge, okay? I say when it's time. Really? I thought a princess could go anywhere. Not this princess. Do you trust me? A whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. A Hold your breath, it gets better. I'm like a shooting star. I've come so Let me share this whole new world with you. Already, when you listen to the trailer for. 2019 live-action remake of Aladdin, and the story is as follows. Young Aladdin embarks on a magical adventure after finding a lamp that releases a wise-cracking genie. The film is starring Will Smith, Mena Masood, Naomi Scott, Marwan Kanzari, Navid Nagaban, Nassim Padrad, and Billy Magnuson. It is written and directed by Guy Ritchie, co-written by John August. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. All right, Josh. Aladdin. Yes. Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. That it is. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Lovely Guy Ritchie. Uh, <laughs> I am not the biggest Guy Ritchie fan. I, I, I used to like Guy Ritchie back when he was doing those small scale crime films, Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, Rock and Rolla. And lately he seems to be expanding with films like Sherlock Holmes and then King Arthur. And here we are with Aladdin. And I, like many people, was extremely skeptical when I saw the initial footage for Aladdin. 
and the CGI for the genie and everything else in the lead up to actually watching this movie. A movie that is based on a film from my childhood that I hold very near and dear to my heart. I have fond, nostalgic memories of the original Disney film, Aladdin. So to see it kind of twisted in this sort of way by a director whose recent work I have not been the biggest fan of, this just was sacrilegious to me. So (laughs) to my surprise, I went into this movie expecting it to be a complete and total disaster. And I emerged from it. Not like thinking, you know, if I could steal like a diamond in a rough pun uh, for a second, it's not necessarily a diamond, but it wasn't really all that rough either. It actually was pleasantly not terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Highest of phrase. (laughs) But I'm curious to know uh, from your perspective, Josh, uh, what were your expectations heading into this? What's your relationship with the original film? And ultimately, what did you think of Guy Ritchie's Aladdin? Well, for me, the original Aladdin is a film that I do have a lot of fond memories of. It is actually my favorite of the Disney animated films. It was one that I used to watch very regularly when I was a kid. Uh, I even had a toy Jafar staff, which was my most prized possession as a six-year-old. So the original Aladdin to me is very, very special. And yeah, going into this one, I was very skeptical. I'm already not the biggest fan of these live action remakes and the footage we were getting wasn't really selling me, but I wanted to be as optimistic as I could because I have such affection for this material. And I think the film does have some moments in it that are kind of entertaining that I didn't mind, but overall I really couldn't get into it, unfortunately. And the film to me is still it does it can never really shake off that kind of feeling so unnecessary and what it changes from the original i don't really find to be all that interesting and most of it is just really poorly staged in terms of its musical numbers and even its action sequences i didn't find that compelling and i just really didn't like it i maybe could have hated it more <laughs> i'll give you that <laughs> but in terms of me actually enjoying this film i was far far from that it's not hellboy level bad no no it's, it's not that <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i mean it's interesting because with this film for me i think when it works the best is when it is almost a carbon copy remake of the disney animated classic when the songs come on or when there are certain dialogue moments or just moments in general that are recreating what the original did so well. I kind of agree with you that some of the new additions to the material, uh, sometimes they fit, sometimes they don't. I mean, this movie for me is just a very definition of a mixed bag. There were certain aspects of it that I was leaning very, very positively towards. And there were certain things that I think are some of the most horrendous moments I've seen in a film (laughs) this Mm -hmm. year. Uh, Let's start off with the positives, though. And for me, a positive was actually Will Smith who, like we all said, when that initial footage came out from the trailer and the CGI just, at times, you know, looked utterly atrocious. And and let me be very clear. I think there are times in this movie where the CGI is actually good, and then there are times where it is laughably bad. 
And it's it, once yeah. again, it's just a mixed bag. I can't say it's all bad. Uh, you were saying before you weren't a fan of like Guy Ritchie's uh, staging. I, I actually thought the shot selection and some of the creativity that went into staging some of those musical numbers actually was quite good. It's more so the film suffers from other aspects, which I'll get into, though. But Will Smith, just tying it back to him for a second. Uh, Will Smith doesn't he doesn't try to copy Robin Williams with this. He's really he's really doing his own thing here. And I really appreciated that a lot. And I actually did find it to be quite entertaining at times, especially when he was in human form. Uh, I would go so far as to say that, like I said, it's a complete surprise uh, to me, maybe because I just went in with such low expectations. But for me, Will Smith was the overall highlight of the film. Well, I think I would say that when Will Smith is in the human form of the genie, I did kind of warm up to that portrayal a little bit more. I think that when he is the CG version, I, I don't know, I think I have to disagree a little bit that I wouldn't call it an impersonation that he's trying to do of Robin Williams, but I think that he is going for the essence of that very manic, animated persona that Robin Williams had in the original, and that never really worked for me. That See, I, I disagree. I, I think that, yes, there is some manic energy here and there uh, because the screenplay and, of course, the nod to the original calls for it, but I think Will Smith brought a level of humanity to the role, and it actually, by the end, got quite emotional for me, uh, and I was really, really bought into how much he made this role his own here. And, and and on top of that, too, you know, this is a more chill, relaxed, laid-back genie, I found, and that's very much in fitting with Will Smith's, you know, cooler-than-school, charming, charismatic persona. Yeah, and, and I think that you get most of that when he's in human form. I think when he is the blue animated genie, they try to go for more of that manic energy, which I don't think Will Smith can really provide in an effective way for this film. And the animation, like as we have talked about, is sometimes very impressive, sometimes very rough. But I think the one consistent thing for me is that that was the point where it felt like Will Smith was kind of trying a little too hard. And it was just difficult for me to get wrapped up into that character. I think there's also other problems with the genie in terms of them trying to expand that character, which I have a lot of problems with. But in terms of just what Will Smith is doing, I think he's good in some aspects. And then other times I wasn't that into what he was doing. Now, uh, when we're talking about like some of the CGI in this film, what did you think of the animal characters, Abu, Iago, Raja? What did you think of how they were done? Um, I thought they they looked fine. Um, I th the other problem that I have, though, is with the nature of this movie and trying to turn it somewhat more into like a quote-unquote realistic portrayal i think a lot of the personality of those animals have been significantly dialed back especially when it comes to yago like just right up front anybody expecting to see like the gilbert Gottfried portrayal of yago is going to be very disappointed in this film agreed and i think because of that i wasn't like like i think for me i was just watching the movie and thinking yeah those characters and those animals look very well animated but they didn't really give me a sense of purpose really within the film. I, I think really 
they didn't really add that much to me. And I was sort of missing that from the film. Well, one of, one of the things that I would kept going back and forth on was I was trying to figure out, are they going for a lifelike Jungle Book, Lion King style CGI recreation? Or are they trying to imbue these characters with the personality? And I think for Abu especially, they definitely did try to do, you know, to do that. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, Iago is just, you know, it's just a talking parrot that doesn't really actually talk he just repeats things that other people say and it, it is kind of disappointing in that regard meanwhile I, I have this problem now every time i see a cgi tiger in every movie uh the, the gold standard for me is life of pi and i'm like if you can make a cgi tiger look as good as life of pi you've done your job but if you don't then i just gotta like kind of disregard it and jungle book with uh Shere khan did an amazing job because that th- that cat uh not only was beautifully rendered but also had a, a personality where Raja, I felt like they were going more for that realistic, um, you know, re- realistic take. Um, you know, Raja is like a character that doesn't actually talk in both the animated and in this version. So uh, it, it was, once again, a, a, just a mixed bag. I, I'm going to I'm gonna keep saying that, like, throughout this entire review here. Everything about this was just a mixed bag for me. I kept going back and forth. And there were points where I stopped mentally, like, saying to myself, okay stop going back and forth between is this good, is this bad, and maybe just try to give yourself over to it a little bit, you know, because clearly it's not all that awful. And there are moments where I am having fun, like the musical numbers, for example. You know, a uh, friend like me, or um, what's that? What's, what's the name of the song where uh, they, they introduce Prince Ali? I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> Uh, is it just is I it just called Prince Prince Ali? It's called Prince Ali. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, or a whole new world even. I, you know, there were times like while watching it, I, I wanted to sing along. I, I hate it when people do that in the movies. So I actually like, you know, don't do it myself. But this movie made me want to actually start singing out loud because I love these songs so, so much. Yes, there was some distracting CGI at times. Like, for example, A Whole New World. You could tell me that the CGI when they're on the magic carpet flying through uh, the city of Agrabah, that it looks pretty bad. But I have to say, I think it looks a hell of a lot better than a scene where they are flying on the magic carpet later on in the film during broad daylight. Mm -hmm. And you can totally tell it is green screen to death. It looks absolutely atrocious. And it just made the whole New World segment look that much better by comparison. (laughs) Yeah, I I will give the film credit that the whole New World segment and most of the Friend Like Me number, I think, are the highlights of the film. And... It's interesting because those were actually the points that I was the most worried about because I think those are the segments, especially in the original film, that add themselves or, or that come across so well in animation that to put them in live action I thought was going to be really tricky. And I think for the most part, they pretty much nail it. And I, I wish that the rest of the film kind of had that same level of energy and creativity, but. For those two segments in particular, I do think they managed to do the successful version of what this story should be in live action form. And speaking of being in live action form, I was a big fan of the production design and the costumes in this. Were you? I was a fan of the costume design. The production design, I'm a little bit more mixed on. Well, here's what I'll say about that and I and I think maybe this might be why you're feeling this way. I'm gonna just take a wild guess here. This movie's not shot well. No, it is not. Like 
this movie, I am, I am, I am just like I'm holding my like hands over my face right now. Um, this film has some of the worst cinematography from a big budget studio film that I can recall in recent memory. I mean, I don't understand why the contrast is not dialed up a bit. There's like no shadows. It looks like it was shot on a set. And I, there was never a time where because if they had tweaked um, some of the brightness in the image and they you know brought it down a little bit, I could have gotten more immersed in like the cinematic quality of the film. But instead, I kept watching this and saying to myself, why does this look like a fucking soap opera? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very flat in terms of how it is shot, which is sort of weird because you would think Guy Ritchie, if nothing else, is a filmmaker that kind of knows how to put a dynamic scene together. And this film just really struggled in that aspect. And, you know, I'll admit, I I tried very hard not to try to keep going back to the original because, you know, when you watch a movie, you should judge it based on what you're watching and, and not try to compare it so much to other things it it can be hard sometimes but you try well with this i think it's very hard because they beat for beat with the exception of two like i I, correct me if i'm wrong but two additions to the plot uh one involving jasmine's expanded role and the other involving uh the hand her handmaiden this film really follows the original beat for beat yeah it it does but but I also think that even if you do try to remove the original film, this one still has things in it that come up short. And like when they go into the Cave of Wonders, for instance, mm-hmm. your mind can automatically go back to the original film and remember how bright and colorful it was and compare it to this one and be disappointed. But I think even if you didn't have the information of the previous film, the Cave of Wonders still looks like a drab, dark, muddled mess. And that is a problem for going into a setting that supposedly is supposed to be so interesting and inviting. And that, and the fact that it just looks so dreary, I had a significant problem with. And I think a lot of this movie doesn't sell the extravagant, colorful world that it should be in. And instead really just goes for a look that is not that appealing for something that should be, uh, that should have a lot more energy to it. I uh, see now I actually did like the production design in this. I thought it looked totally fine. One thing though that did distract me a bit was the size of the city of Agrabah. It seemed yeah. very, very tiny. Yeah, it did. And so when we get to the Cave of Wonders and we get inside, that also looked very, very tiny. Mm-hmm. And then there's a scene where Aladdin gets banished to, quote unquote, the ends of the earth, and he's in a snowy environment, and then the magic carpet somehow gets him and brings him back to Agrabah in what feels like just a few minutes. And considering how small this world felt, it seemed like it could just be happening a few miles away. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is up with just the overall scope of this movie? <laughs> yeah, the world building is surprisingly lacking in this film. I, I would definitely say that. Yeah, but I, I have to say, I thought that the actual design elements that went into the sets themselves maybe because it was so brightly lit i was just able to notice it a lot more Uh, those elements i I did find to be rather appealing it it just seemed very odd to me that like there's certain like there's like a whole scene that takes place uh with jafar the sultan and like the third act and it takes place all on a balcony and it's it just feels like i felt like at times i was watching a play 
rather than, you know, this very epic size story that honestly, the original, I, once again, I hate comparing it to the original, but, you know, you kind of have to in this case. The original felt like it just had more scope compared to this. Yeah, I, I would definitely mark on how kind of condensed the climax of this film is. And that was another disappointing thing. And as you say, you don't want to keep going back to the original, but it's actually a bit harder for me in this case because the original's climax is something that I loved watching as a kid. So, oh, it's so Josh, why is there no Jafar sneak in this? Uh, why? Honestly, <laughs> and I know that probably is a spoiler, but... I don't care. The most disappointing thing, because the Jafar snake was actually like the thing that made Aladdin my favorite (laughs) Disney movie. And to not have that and what they did replace it with, I just found to be very kind of silly, actually, and not that exciting or interesting to watch. And yeah, the whole climax of this film just felt very small in comparison. And it didn't really give me the stakes I wanted in this story, and that was extremely disappointing. Speaking of extremely disappointing, and I want to just preface by saying I have no ill will towards the actor himself, but Marwan Kenzari might be some of the worst casting I have seen this year. I don't know what Guy Ritchie was going for when he cast him to play Jafar. I don't get it. And after seeing the movie and seeing what he did with the performance, I still don't get it. It it, it never made sense to me what Guy Ritchie saw in this actor with what this character was originally in the animated film and could have easily been translated to this. Like, I kept saying to myself, why couldn't they cast, like, Ben Kingsley or F. Murray Abram or someone along those lines in this role? I, I, I just... I, I need I need to hear your thoughts on this because I'm still perplexed by it. Well, I'll I'll say this. Uh, I do agree with you that I wish that they had gotten like an older actor to play this role. Uh, my dream casting would have been Alexander Siddig because I think oh that would have been perfect. Yes, yeah, that that would have been my dream casting. Um, and I do agree with you that he does. This actor does come up short on a lot of scenes, but. I don't know if it bothered me quite as much as it did for a lot of other people. And maybe that's just because I wasn't really into the movie that much. So his performance, there were other things that I was bothered by more than his performance. Um, yeah, he's not great, but he didn't really like break the movie for me. I, I will say that. No, you know, it's interesting how this movie can have some of the worst cinematography I've seen and a performance in it that I would personally nominate for a Razzie. And yet it's still not a movie that I would say is one of the worst of the year. (laughs) You know, for me, there were enough elements in this that were able to save it. And I, and I said something on Twitter recently where I don't, I don't remember what it was in direct response to, but I basically said that for me, a well-placed song or musical score can really save a movie for me. Mm-hmm. And Aladdin has such an iconic score and such iconic songs that maybe my blinders were on for this one a little bit. And maybe it did prevent me from being a little bit more harsh uh, to some of the other elements in this film because I really do believe that 
pretty much every musical number in this movie. Just the way Guy Ritchie stages it, uh, the shot selection, the level of creativity and energy behind it all. And you know what? Even Jasmine's new song, I actually quite liked it. And I thought it was kind of odd where it was placed in the film towards the end. And I thought that that might have, I think that element of it was a little rough, but the actual song itself, what it represents, how it fit in with the film's other songs, I, I actually didn't mind that. I thought it was quite good. I liked her performance of the song. I thought that was very well done. But as you said, its placement in the story just feels kind of awkward. And I even think that even if you hadn't seen the original film, it would still feel a little bit shoved in because the way that it's used, it's basically like a dream sequence. And to me, anything in a movie that is like a dream sequence automatically will start to feel out of place because it usually doesn't really mean that much to the overall narrative. And, and I think that, again, her performance of the song is really well done, but I could never really escape just how awkward it felt in the actual story and its execution in the story for me. She's a star. Oh, yeah. Just throwing that out there right now. Best performance in the film by a mile. A hundred percent. Like, uh, she's, she's, if Power Rangers wasn't enough to convince people, because I don't think not enough people saw Power Rangers, this should definitely tell people. Naomi Scott, I, mean, I think she's, what, only, she's got to be, what, in her mid-20s? Like, she's 20, 26. She, she's definitely someone that I think is going to continue to dazzle us. Um, I mean, her singing voice is pretty phenomenal. And she has wonderful uh, state. Uh, I was gonna say stage presence, screen presence. I thought that her chemistry with uh, Mena Masood was actually quite good in this. And it's interesting because I felt like he was. I felt like he was actually trying to recreate the animated performance in many ways. And for her, I I honestly felt like she was putting her own spin on the character of Jasmine and not really trying to recreate uh, that original vocal performance in live action form. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that is helped by the nature of the this script because I think they are making a conscious effort to give Jasmine more. So there is more opportunity to expand that character. And I think that Naomi Scott does a really great job with it. Um, I, I think Menemisode is kind of struggling in Aladdin. I think that there are moments where he does have a lot of charm to him. And then there's other The jam scene. Oh my God. I, oh, you didn't like the jams? (laughs) I thought that his comedy in that was really well done. That scene felt like it was going on for three years. And I agree with that. I do agree that it dragged. and, And I understand that it's supposed to be awkward, but there's a very fine line in comedy where it can be enjoyably awkward and unbearably awkward. And I didn't feel like that scene hit the enjoyably awkward bit very often. I, I kind of found it to be intolerable. Well, <laughs> if we're going to talk about enjoyably awkward, uh, Billy Magnuson's uh, brief role in this as a uh, potential suitor for Jasmine. <laughs> I, I tell you, he's, he's like one of those uh, comedic actors that – I'm actually more and more I'm getting like really excited every time he pops up in new projects. He's hilarious in Game Night. And even though his role was very brief in this, he might have been actually the funniest part of the movie for me. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's pretty solid. I wish 
I almost wish they could have used him more, but then I don't know. Maybe if they used him more, that it would have felt more bloated. I'm not sure. But, it would have been overdone, I think. But whatever, whenever you can use him, I think it's always a good thing for your film. Sure, sure. Uh, you were saying before that you didn't really appreciate um, the inclusion of Dahlia, Jasmine's uh, handmaiden, into the story. No, not like at all. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want to just expand on that? Well, I think that. I struggle to find what her purpose is outside of her connection to the genie character. And to me, it just really came across as adding another character that doesn't really provide any substance to the overall narrative. Really, I I just really believe you could eliminate her and it would be practically the same movie. And the comedy bits they give her, I did not find all that appealing and... She has decent chemistry with Naomi Scott, but it's not like set the screen on fire. And she's got a couple funny moments, but I like that scene where she's reacting behind the door to like getting a moment alone with uh, the genie. And she's like, you know, turning to Jasmine all like, yes, (laughs) I I I like that moment. It's a cute moment. But if it was completely gone from the movie, I wouldn't miss it at all. And it's no disrespect to the actress, but I just think that character is so superfluous that in the movie that is is already like over two hours just didn't need it at all well i think the bigger crime here is that her character like you said serves no purpose other than to serve the purpose of the male counterpoint character yes and i think that that is it's it's very unusual that they would go so far to really expand Jasmine's role in the film to actually make her the uh, heir to the Sultan and you know portray her in a in, in a post me too world just in a a more empowering light uh, for modern audiences and then her handmaiden her only purpose is to just be a love interest for the genie and the reason why they have that is because the movie needs to have Will Smith in it more so that his character doesn't disappear from the narrative or being on screen I mean he gets first billing in this so I I just I did find that to be uh, I, I, I really found that to be both unsettling concerning and also too just very at odds with what they were trying to do with Jasmine it just it was very very weird yeah, I, I like I said, I think that that actress does the best she can do with that part. It's just the role is so unnecessary to the overall film that it didn't really add anything significant to me. And I like that the you know I like that the cast is diverse, and you know we get expanded roles for uh, the Sultan and also too this um, other uh, character named Hakim, and it it just feels like it's half baked. You know, it's like they're they're trying to expand uh, certain roles and give these actors more to do, but it never fully quite materializes. And like like and I think the best example is the Hakeem character where all of a sudden he becomes like very, very important in the third act. And I'm thinking to myself, he was such a background character in the first two acts. Like when all of a sudden did the screenplay decide to make this a central character? Like, was I supposed to be caring about this? I I don't even know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just seemed very forced. Yeah. He, his importance just sort of came out of nowhere at the very end of the film. It's like, wait, why, why are you now all of a sudden so important? Like exactly what's going on? 
Exactly. Uh, all right, what else? What else? What else? Uh, I don't know. Should we get to final thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that we can do that now. <laughs> okay. So final thoughts. Anything that we did not talk about that you want to make mention of, Josh? Um, well, I, I will just kind of reiterate that there are some well-designed moments in the film. I think, to me, a lot of this could have been improved if they just had somebody else besides Guy Ritchie. I, I just don't think that his sensibilities are suited well to this material, suited well to musicals at all. And I really do wish that they had had somebody else to give this material the kudos that it really deserved. You know where it actually fits? It fits more in the scenes where Aladdin is doing his parkour through the streets of Agrabah. And that's where, like, the Guy Ritchie style really starts to come through a bit more for me. And I could understand then in those moments why I think he was hired to do the job. It, it started to make sense to me a little bit more in those moments. And there's also, too, I, I, I got to say, like, when the film first starts and first opens up, there's this long opening tracking shot through the credits. And I was thinking to myself, wow, like, OK, Guy Ritchie, I see what you're doing here. Let's let's see where this goes. Like in the first opening couple of minutes in the movie, I was thinking to myself, I, I think they did a good job choosing him. But once again, you know, there are certain times where the style fits, certain times where it doesn't. And of course, as per usual, the screenplay uh, just it, it it comes and goes. It has its moments. And I think those moments are best when it's uh, adapting the original animated film. And then there are certain times where it doesn't work because of either new material that feels incredibly forced out of place, and as we already illustrated, it has a lot to do with uh, some of these expanded uh, roles and new characters that were introduced. Yeah, I'd agree. But I, I actually would give him a little bit more credit for the style, personally. Well, you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, alrighty. Uh, do I have any other final thoughts here? I'm going to reiterate again. Cinematography, absolutely awful. I, I just, I, I couldn't understand that choice and it really really bothered me throughout um i do think that the staging of some of the musical numbers like a whole new world prince ali you uh, a friend like me like th these these are moments that i tr uh you know treasure and hold dear to my heart from the original so much that seeing them recreate in live action form and you know will smith uh, you know i understand there's some auto-tuning going on here but i actually thought that he sang the songs quite well or at least well enough Given the fact that, I mean, it's not like Will Smith is like a trained Broadway star or anything like that, you know, but he didn't embarrass himself. He didn't he didn't Russell Crowe lay miserable, you know? No, it, it could have been worse, which I guess is my overall feeling about the movie. It could have been worse. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe because, like I said, the, the expectations were just so low for me heading in that coming out of it, just even saying that, like, oh, it could have been worse. That was not what I was expecting to say. I was expecting to emerge from this going, that was the worst movie I've seen this year. Bottom five, easily the worst. Instead, I emerged with a smile on my face. I was humming uh, a whole new world. And then DJ Khalid came on over the credits. And then I was like, oh, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. <laughs> I ran for the exit as soon as I heard that. Come on. <laughs> yeah. That, oh, God. What a way to end the movie. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, great out of 10, Josh. Uh, I think I'm going to land on a 4 out of 10. It's 
certainly not the worst movie that I've seen this year, but it just had way too many problems for me to kind of get anywhere near a recommendation for it. Yeah, I'm I'm incredibly mixed on this, so I'm going with a 5 out of 10. Like I said, there's certain elements that I really like, certain elements that I don't like, and normally I feel like if this wasn't a nostalgic adaptation of a film that I really, really genuinely love, and this was like an original creation, I think I would be more aligned with your score, Josh, or even lower, potentially, but there is a bit of nostalgia and a bit of bias that is carrying over for me, so I am bumping it and going with a 5 out of 10 at least. It's not... It's not, you know, it's like it, it, it's like Beauty and the Beast, if for me, at least. Uh, I There were certain elements I liked, certain elements I didn't like. I'd still recommend people to check it out, you know, and make up their minds for themselves. I'm not going to tell people to avoid it or anything like that. But in terms of what it could have been and compared to the original, it's still a disappointment. And I, 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 I you know what the thing that annoys me the most about all these live action remakes, Josh? Mm. It's that a whole new generation is going to be brought up on V's instead of the originals, which we were brought up on. Yeah, that's true. And these are just not up to the standard of quality as those original films in many ways. And I don't know if it is simply because those were animated and these are obviously live action. I don't know if it's that simple. But I think that once you make it live action, then, then there are other elements that get introduced into it that from a nitpicking standpoint, uh, it actually makes it a lot easier to find criticisms with the film where the animated, you just you just got to create good visuals, provide good music, have good voice acting and have a good story. You know, it's like your bar is I don't want to say it's less, but it's. It's easier to appease people, I think, with an animated film than with a live action film. And I don't know, maybe that's a controversial statement to say. I'm not not trying to knock animated films or anything like that. I just feel that when you have a uh, 80 or 90 minute animated film and the pacing is very, very brisk, everything is meticulously well thought out. I, I don't know. It just feels like the storytelling is a lot tighter. It gets its message across a lot better. And there's less to... There's just less to criticize, I find. Yeah, there's a lot more precise storytelling happening in the animated versions. Yeah. Alrighty, uh, Oscar potential. What do you think? I mean, some of the crafts, certainly, it maybe could get in for production and costume design. Uh, Beauty and the Beast did that. Um, maybe the original song. It's kind of hard to say. I think those would be its best chances, but I I don't know how much faith I'd give them. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I think that those are the three areas that, from a prospect standpoint, you have to look at Aladdin in that way. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, like you said, got those two nominations. It came close, probably, to a song nomination as well. So this film does have the original song. Um, is it is it officially called Speechless? I didn't look up the title. Yeah, it is. Gotcha. So you have to believe that they'll submit that. Uh, and as a result, it might make the short list. We'll, we'll have to see how far it goes. And then beyond that, I would say more likely a costume design nomination over production design, probably. Probably. Yeah. I feel a little bit better with that prediction than anything. Um you know something I noticed too, just really quick. This is like a, a, a quick aside. I, I just noticed that in this film, they didn't have Aladdin with his vest and then nothing underneath, like no, no, like eight pack abs or anything like that. <laughs> throughout, yes, I, I took notice of that too. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought to myself, like, you know, why not? Just, just go there. You know, I'm, I'm sure that. It, <laughs> 
I'm sure there's a segment of the audience that would have been quite pleased. Uh, yes, and another, the sec- that same segment was uh, very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hey, you know what? It is what it is. It wasn't awful. So we move on. We move on. We press on to a new week and pretty soon another live action or photorealistic. I don't even know what we're calling it anymore. Uh, Disney adaptation for The Lion King coming this yeah. summer. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. Josh, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Aladdin here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Write us a comment. Rate us five stars. It helps for people to discover us. So if you like what you're hearing and you want us to continue to grow, go on iTunes and leave us a comment and a rating. And if you're feeling generous beyond that, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us that can only go out to our Patreon subscribers, some reviews that we uh, give previews of here on the show, usually around anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes. Those reviews end up being sometimes two, two and a half hours. It depends, but I mean, we definitely do our best to provide a lot of content to our Patreon subscribers out there. So, once again, if you like what you're hearing, head on over, subscribe, and you'll get a hell of a lot more. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.